0: Hello and welcome to uh, Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host Dale, representing the Christian or seeker side, and I'm your other host David, representing the
1: seeker atheist, bright skeptic.
0: Anyway, where was I? I'm uh, I'm David. <laughs> Hello. Um and yes, for for this week's show, uh, just actually, yeah, I should probably say before before we get started, we do have a couple quick announcements to make. So Um, Me and David have confirmed uh, with our special guests, Uh, so Mike Lacona we have scheduled on for next Saturday, January 12th, Um, and I think David's already said before what what they'll be speaking about. Um, But
1: just to to be uh, clear, we are going to be talking about uh, miracle stories in the Bible, how to interpret uh, miracle stories in the Bible, and maybe... Uh, miracle stories and other literature. Uh, how how such stories should be read by the modern reader.
0: Okay, and and what's uh, what's my role in, in in your show with Mike? Because I know you said you want me to participate with Gary and give sort of my own take on doubt and real seekers. You
1: can you can hang in there, and you might have a a, a question or two for him. Uh, it'll be more interview style. I think that Mike is expecting us to uh, ask him questions and kind of lead the conversation so you know if you have a not stupid question uh that that's
0: your role okay all right cool that might be a reach um, for you i think you could do it yeah <laughs> yeah so well, i i know how to ask michael a question so, yeah. so i've been doing it for years but, right. so, um yeah perfect and then obviously uh gary is scheduled to come on the next week yes um, so, and that's yeah. going
1: to be more of a conversation uh uh, with me and Gary on the subject of doubt, uh, I consider Gary, even though he is, is considered by Christians an expert in the resurrection uh, with, with an evidential uh, view, I consider Gary an expert in doubt. And uh, we're going to talk about his story and uh, why it is I think that. Uh, his, his journey through doubt and how he came out the other side and my journey through doubt and how I came out for the completely different conclusion. And I think that the interaction will be, uh, very fruitful. So there, Excellent. there will be, there will be little to debate there, but a lot of interesting things to discuss.
0: Excellent. Yeah. I think it'll be, I think it'll be good times. Thank, thank you to both of them for being willing to do us the favor of, of coming on.
1: Yeah. And let's be clear. They're doing us a favor
0: yeah <laughs> and so we uh, we thank them <laughs> absolutely. yeah uh, perfect. all right, so so let's get straight into the show then. So this is gonna be the first part in a in a, another series um, and it's gonna be my series on uh, first starting out with the coherence of Christian theism, looking at some of the divine attributes that God has, uh, trying to see does it make sense logically or or are they just, incoherent and contradictory, as as some atheists have tried to to make that argument against the Christian God. Um, So yeah, I guess um, before we get into the attributes proper, um, I think it's important to have an idea of uh, what does it mean for a proposition or or an attribute to be coherent? What does it mean for something to be coherent? so basically, when philosophers are saying a given proposition is a coherent proposition, what they're what they're evaluating is, uh, you know, does it make sense to suppose that this proposition is could be true? Uh, as well, can any other statements entailed by that proposition also be true? Um, so it doesn't mean that it actually has to be true in reality or not. It just means. Can you conceive of the fact that it's true? does it make sense to suppose it could be true? So by contrast, an incoherent proposition is one where there's uh, you know it, it, it doesn't make sense to suppose it's true. It's nonsensical uh, or there's a lot there's a logical contradiction, either an explicit one or one that's hidden. Um, so hopefully that that makes sense uh, to, to you guys as to what the difference is. Um, Now, in terms of modal logic terminology, because I think this will be helpful and instructive. This is another way of explaining what coherence means. So if a proposition, if it does make sense to suppose, if it's conceivable, which means does it make sense to suppose it's true, it could be true, then this means this proposition exists in a logically possible world. Um, whereas incoherent propositions don't exist in any logical logical possible world so a, a married bachelor doesn't exist in in any logical possible world okay that's a fancy word what is a logically possible world though so possible worlds and I, I'm going to try my best to explain this so they're not concrete objects it's not like oh you're thinking of a different universe in the multiverse or you know it's it's not a concrete thing um but it's an abstract concept so it's think of it as a maximal description of reality sort of like set theory you know you have sets of of various numbers well here you have sets of various propositions some of which are true some of which are false um the, the possible world where all the propositions are true is the actual world that we live in. Um, so um, when you're considering coherence, you're saying, well, does this proposition fit? Um, and also in order to be coherent, it's not it also has to make sense, as I said, in relation to all the other propositions in that possible world. So if there's a contradiction between Proposition A in a logical possible world and, and the proposition you're trying to say is coherent, well, then that means it's not coherent either. Um, so, so yeah, just before I move on to discussing the actual properties, hopefully, I, you know, D- David was really concerned that I explain these complex concepts in an understandable way. I, I think I've done that. Um, But yeah, I'll I'll turn it before I get into discussing the properties of God, uh, just on to on a comprehension level of what coherence is. David, did you have anything you wanted to to say or probe on that?
1: Yes. So we're going to disagree right off the bat. Uh, In your uh, explanation of uh, coherence, you said that a proposition doesn't necessarily have to be true. To be coherent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet, if a if a proposition is impossible, then it's incoherent. So, I would say that the the reason the impossible thing is incoherent is not merely because it's impossible, but because it's not true. Uh, and so, just as an example, uh, and I. I apologize uh, that this example uses uh, physics. I am not a physicist, but I am a Star Trek fan, so that's got to count for something. Um, the spin of neutrinos. Neutrinos are all left-spin fermions. Uh, there, was a, there was an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is why this uh, came to mind, and luck was running uh, a certain way on the station, and Dax, the science officer, uh, determined that the problem is all of this, the, the neutrinos were spinning in the same direction. And this, this is uh, brought up as one of those um, Star Trek errors, because in fact, all neutrinos do spin. <laughs> In the same direction. So, uh, the writers of Star Trek, uh, that particular episode, imagined a world where the uh, neutrinos uh, spun, you know, some were left, some were right. But the fact is, that is not coherent. It, it may seem coherent if you don't know anything about neutrinos. But in fact, it is not coherent. So it's not, it's not just wrong, it's incoherent. And the more you know, the more things become incoherent. And so I would suggest that, um, well, so my first challenge is that the idea that a thing can be coherent, even though it is wrong, I, I would just begin to challenge that. Um, it's only coherent to you because you don't know enough about the facts. And, and, and if you knew more, it wouldn't be coherent to you. That leads to my second objection, which is that coherence, uh, you dis- described it as anything that you can conceive mm-hmm. is coherent and therefore real in some possible world. But we, our, our ability to conceive of things varies from person to person. I can conceive of fewer things than you in some areas because I know more about them than you. If you don't know much about them, you can conceive a lot of things in in the same way that a a six-year-old child can conceive much more than you can because they know even less about the world. And so the idea of what one can conceive, that varies from person to person, and therefore it means that what is real in some possible universe would vary from person to person. It's not a very helpful description at all. So those are the two challenges I'd like to make there.
0: Okay, uh, perfect. So, so in terms of the the Star Trek uh, reference, so this is actually perfectly in line with um, what I'm trying to do here and my definition of what it means for, for something to be coherent. So, um, basically, what you there's a difference between. So, this is your second objection, then. So, there is a difference between imagine something being imaginable versus. Conceivable, and what we're interested in is the latter. Some, uh, something I can't, uh, you know, something can be conceivable even if we can't imagine it. Um, now, and according to most philosophers, vice versa. Um, so there is a distinction there. Um, I now, in terms of the first thing, so I, I think it's important to avoid. Uh, imagining something that's actually inconceivable—you have to have a proper understanding of what the proposition you're saying is coherent is. So this this is why it's important to try and define your terms or to illustrate your term, um, you know, your terms as to what they mean and that sort of thing. Um, or if we can prove that it actually exists, then by definition, it is coherent. In order to actually exist, it would have to be a logically coherent idea. Now, the the second aspect with the neutrinos example. um, Okay, uh, great. So you have to evaluate, is the proposition coherent? Uh, Sure, it's perfectly coherent, to my mind, for neutrinos to spin the opposite way. Now, you're saying, but in reality, they don't. They always spin the one way. I wouldn't say that it's incoherent to suppose neutrinos spin in an opposite way necessarily. You're just saying it's factually necessary, given the laws of science that we have in this universe, that they only spin the one way. So this is sort of probing. Well, why do they only spin the wrong way, the the one way? Um, And you can find it. Well, we have a law of whatever that dictates that determines their motion. So then, you can just conceive of okay, well, maybe there's a different universe where the laws of nature themselves operate differently, and in, in which case, the neutrinos could spin in opposite directions. That, that's so,
1: where I don't understand your distinction then between conceive and imagine, because we know that neutrinos spin uh, with left-handed spin. Yeah, and and so at this point, you're just saying, well, what if they spun another way? That doesn't mean that that's um, coherent you're just imagining a possibility where they spun another way it doesn't mean that they can spin another way in fact everything that we know about them says that they can't spin another way and by the way if there's some other theories out there about uh, neutrinos i i am not a physicist so (laughs) but so just assume that what i am saying is true about neutrinos for this point yeah uh, so it, so if you're, if you're just saying, well, just imagine them, even though you know that they can't, imagine that they can. Um, yeah. I, so, I'm sorry, I can't, so it's not a logical or coherent conception for me, but in the same way that, you know, a person can well, imagine six up. impossible things before breakfast every morning. Sure, I can imagine it, but I don't see what bearing that has on whether it's
0: coherent. Okay, so... You're not you're not a physicist, but I'm I'm assuming the reason neutrinos only spin the one way has something to do with the established laws of nature. It it dictates that they spin that way. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not logically coherent that they could spin if they can spin one way they can spin another way.
1: No, um, no, that's not, just that that's laws not true. Of
0: nature are determining how they. Operate. No, but that that uh, is
1: not true. Uh, I mean, uh, let, that, let that me bit of logic. I'm not
0: talking about neutrinos
1: here. But when you when you say, well, if it can if it can go that way, then it can go the other way. Um, no, that's that's where we disagree. You can okay, fantasize so what, that it could go the other way, but you don't know that it could go the other way.
0: Okay, so what's the logical contradiction that results from neutrinos spinning the other way? And uh, if you if you don't know the answer i'll i'll say what i think it is because i wanna i want to establish a certain yeah, point Yeah,
1: so I'm, I'm i'm kind of perusing an article here it's it's much too deep to try to uh, go over in a podcast so i'm gonna i'm gonna beg ignorance but i'm also gonna uh beg that it's that it's irrelevant the, the fact is everything we know about them suggests that that is how they have to be
0: true i'm assuming yep true because uh, i again i don't know anything so i'm just pretend everything you say is right. Everything we know about them, this is the only way they can spin. Perfect. That doesn't mean that it's logically inconceivable that they couldn't spin the other way. And in order to show something is inconceivable or logically impossible, is by showing that it's nonsensical. There's a logical contradiction, either explicit or hidden. And you can't do that. I, I think what you would say is that, well, it contradicts because The laws of nature determine that this is the only way it spins and that's what we observe it always only spins this one way in this universe given the laws of nature so that proposition the laws of nature are the tailed propositions that you're saying contradict with supposing the neutrinos are going to spin a different way okay all i have to do is postulate a different universe with different laws of nature which uh you know physicists do all the time i mean in league with the mainstream science there, right? There's the multiverse where they calculate different uh, fine-tuned values. But uh, what the, the point that I, what we're trying to do is, David's almost trying to say that, look, the laws of nature as they operate in this, in the actual universe are logically necessary. And I don't see any way of establishing that. Um, as I was alluding to before, we, we can conceive. Stephen Hawking everyone's on my side in in conceiving that the laws of nature could be different from what they are in the actual universe so that is conceivable um again it, unless you want to try and suppose there's some kind of super law that says no the the laws of nature as they stand have to be as they are but well,
1: I don't if, I don't know that I would propose that but I I would say that we have a sample size of one universe and any other speculation we have about another universe is just that speculation. We don't know if it's coherent to suggest that there could be another universe with different laws of nature. So if you rewind the tape and bang the big again, for all we know, we would get the exact same universe that we have now because that's the only way it could bang. And so I know that you're thinking, well, no, if it was if um, if the the there was there was a little bit more uh, positive energy than what it was, or a little bit more negative energy than it was, then the universe would be radically different. Yeah, but we don't know that there could have been any more or any less. Uh, energy, uh, positive or negative than what there was. And so I'm not saying that there couldn't have been, but it is, it is not a proven fact that there could have been. And once again, we're just speculating. It might be right. It might be wrong, but it's, it's the same way that a child speculates about things. Sometimes they're right about their guesses too. It doesn't actually mean that it's a coherent idea.
0: So I would, okay, so yeah, so I'll I'll let this be my last point on on this before we move on to the actual. Um, No, we we do know we actually have knowledge, and this is why science, we have modal evaluating faculties, and this is what allows us to derive knowledge in our speculations of coherence. Uh, Now, it's it's true. I mean, people point to certain counterexamples from temporal paradoxes and that sort of thing, but... I, the way I've carefully laid it out, we can avoid those pitfalls. Same with, you know, the Star Trek examples and stuff that they just sort of mindlessly say something or or something like that. But we, we have to, that's why we have to evaluate, well, what is the proposition and, and try to come to an understanding of what it actually is, as well as an understanding of the propositions that are intertwined with that proposition or entailed by that proposition to see if it if it does make sense, or if it is coherent, if there is a contradiction um, between them, then that's how we can tell through our modal evaluating faculties. Well, it's obviously it's obviously not true then. It's logically impossible. So um, yeah, I think we actually have knowledge through what I'm calling these modal evaluating faculties. I'm right in line with you know, mainstream philosophy as well as mainstream science in in this regard. So, yeah, um, I, I think I'm, I'm good with that. Do you mind if we, do you want to, is it okay if we move on or do sure. you want a last sure. word? Or, no, no, no. You know? uh,
1: go ahead. We'll have a few of these <laughs> little uh, digressions, I think. So uh, feel free to move on to your next point. I, I, You know, there are other points that I could make and other illustrations, but I think that um, we've said enough for, uh, the listener to get where each of us is coming from, determine
0: uh, which, if either of us is full of it. So, yeah. Hopefully, I did a good job of. It was understandable the way I presented it and everything. It wasn't confusing. I, I, I think it. I think that it's understandable to
1: the extent that I, I savvy the words that you used, but the idea is still very. Well, incoherent to me. Hmm. Uh, you know, if, if I tell you that I'm wearing a if, – well, if, if we were to guess what color shirt I was wearing, let's say I picked it out in the dark, you know, you could say, uh, well, you could be wearing a red shirt or you could be wearing a blue shirt. You Let's know, say those were the only two choices in my closet. And I would say, yeah, it's, it's, it is a coherent idea to speculate either one of those. But if I turn on the light and say, "Nope, it's a red shirt, then it's not a coherent idea to say, well, let's suppose you're wearing a blue shirt. No, I'm not wearing a blue shirt. It's a, it's a red shirt. Yeah, but let's let's pretend you're wearing a blue shirt. At that point, you're just talking about pretend and imagination, and it has nothing to do with whether you're saying something that actually makes sense in the real world at that point. So you were saying, no, it, it would still make sense. And so that's, that's the idea. So th- this may just be some fine fine point of modal logic that i just am never going to agree with and that your argument is based on and
0: i'm i am satisfied that we have both made uh, yeah. our opinions clear exactly yeah exactly yeah i think that's a perfect example a, a blue shirt is coherent but the proposition david is wearing a blue shirt at that time and place is false yeah. so but it yeah, stops perfect. being coherent the moment you know what color shirt I'm
1: wearing. That's the, that's, the, that's where I'm going, and that's the step where you're not going. Uh, yeah, and and I, it could be just, that philosophy, real. that modal logic and, and philosophers are on your side, but I disagree with it. I, I yep, would disagree that's with it. Yeah.
0: yeah, cool. Yeah, so perfect. So audience, just before I move on, this is the essential point. So it, David's saying if it's not true, then it's not coherent. I'm saying no, something could be coherent wearing a blue shirt is perfectly coherent we do it all the time but it's just happens to be false in David's particular case at that particular time so there's a di- there's a difference in my mind David's saying nope they're, they're the same if something's false it's not coherent
1: well but there's there's um, the second part of this so this is not a retreat. this is to, to help you transition into the second part of this you're saying if it is coherent by your definition then you make the leap that it is therefore a fact in some possible world. So that is, that is a page right out of the many worlds uh, theory uh, to suggest that anything that could happen does happen. Uh, and I think that's a, a huge leap of logic. So even if we were to suggest that your idea of coherence is correct, that does not mean that that thing has actually played out in any possible world. Mm-hmm. It is, it is still right. possible that the only the one thing has ever played out
0: in every possible world. OK, uh, so I, I did want to move on, but actually, this is such a good point for illustration. So, yeah, uh, the way you actually said that, uh, whether by accident or intentionally, was perfect. So just because something's coherent doesn't mean it actually it's not it's not. It, so it means it's a coherent proposition that exists in a logically possible world. Remember, these are just abstract. It exists as a proposition in a, in a set of propositions. That doesn't mean they've been actualized. So a multiverse, an infinite multiverse would, mean, would, in effect, mean that every single logically possible world, all those different combinations of true and false propositions are actualized. And I don't believe that. Um, that that's not what I'm saying Um, they don't have concrete existence as though there's an infinite number of different universes one where David's wearing a blue shirt one where David's wearing a green shirt blah 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 Um, so there's two there's the two modes of existence I'm just I'm just saying for the sake of argument that it exists as a abstract proposition of as part of a set of other abstract propositions uh, different combinations of which are true propositions versus false propositions, as obtained in the actual world. Um, so yes. Yeah. So
1: in the in the world of the quantum foam, where um, possibilities come in and out of existence all the time, anything is possible. And I would push back against that. I don't believe in the anything is possible theory. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, I, I it feel that feels a lot like. A Christian version of what you're saying is that, you know, because you can, you can have these logical possible worlds where anything that is conceived, uh, is possible and therefore true somewhere. You're saying anything is possible. I don't believe that anything is possible. So again, yeah. that's another point of disagreement that we would
0: have. Yeah. It, and that depends on the definition. Well, what do you mean by anything? Cause I, I would agree that with that, um, but it, yeah, it depends on what you mean by anything. So, okay. All right, cool. So let's transition then. So let, here's the main topic of the, the blog. Does it makes is the Christian God coherent in, in my sense of the, the word? And this is what I'm going to be trying to establish over the next few, few weeks here. Um, so in the first place, uh, there are a couple of major categories as to how we can understand God's attributes. And I'm just going to use the first one. Cause I like that. I prefer this one. so God has two different major sets of categories. So the first are his incommunicable properties, which means they belong to God only. They can't be translated to creatures or to inanimate objects in the universe that they, they're, they are attributes of God that belong to him alone. Um, versus obviously is communicable properties. So these are properties that are communicated um, to to creatures and they can have them as well. And I've provided a couple sources for you guys to learn about the difference there and that sort of thing. Um, So when we're looking at the properties, um, there are two different sources of where we typically get information about, you know, who is God, what is God um, or who is God. So the first is obviously the Bible, divine revelation. He gives us certain facts about God and that sort of thing. Um, But in certain cases, once again, the Bible alone is underdeterminative. So we also rely upon what's called perfect being theology. Um, um, And that, you know, sort of related to an Anselmian version of what is the greatest conceivable being and that sort of thing. So these are two major sources of how we come to an understanding of what it means for God to be omnipotent or or something like that. Um, So uh, the first two properties, originally I had three properties in my blog. So so check out the attachment to see my original blog. But uh, I think David was right that it was too much. So I'm going to slice off the third one and just go with the first two uh, this week. So the first one is God is a person and or a personal being okay, does it make, is it coherent to suppose that God is a person? And I'm not specifying at this point whether he's embodied or not, I don't, I don't care uh, at this point. Um, so I would say, yes, it, it makes perfect sense for God to be a person uh, and or in the Christian sense, a personnel being because obviously uh, the Christian God is Trinitarian um, and so that means he's three persons in one being. Uh, And there'll be an upcoming blog on how that would make sense and that sort of thing. Um, But okay, so let's try to define this. What does it mean to be a person a little bit? So what I'm saying in a modern psychological sense, and I like their definition, I think this is what we all mean when we're thinking of a person, but it's a substantial being that is a center of self-consciousness. So it basically has a set of cognitive faculties that are sufficient for personhood. Okay, another technical term, per- personhood. Um, so basically, what what does that mean? It's I, I think it means they have a mind. They they stand in I thou relationships to other persons or other beings. Uh, so you can use the indexical I to describe you versus somebody else, another person or, or another thing. Um, and there are certain uh, there are five at least five states. Uh, that a person or a mind is capable of experiencing. So persons have thoughts, persons have sensations, uh, persons have uh, beliefs, uh, and it's complex uh, thoughts and complex beliefs are capable of that. Uh, They also have desires. So that's first and second order desires. I desire not to desire this. Um, And finally, they have uh, volitions. Um, they have free will i know that's uh, controversial but this is how i define what a person is Um, so yeah that that's what a person is that's how i would sort of define what it is it seems perfectly coherent in in terms of the way i've described it and actually we all know that persons exist here's proof because it persons actually exist in this universe in the actual universe not just in a some logically possible world, but in this logically possible world, David, you, me, we are all persons. Um, so it, it's it's undeniable that the concept of God as being a person is logically coherent. Um, so yeah, uh, before I get into our next feature, did did you have any comeback about God being a person or, or a personal being? Yes, David?
1: yes, I think
0: that... Okay. Um...
1: This is a classic example of getting the uh, cart before the horse. Um, so we can spend, you know, another hour debating personhood, but what you have not established is God being in the first place. <laughs> so uh, you, it doesn't really make sense to try to establish the nature of a thing. Before you've established the existence of a thing, and when you when you start with the nature, it is as if you were trying to define the thing into existence. So, uh, just as another sci-fi example, uh, in two thousand and one, Space Odyssey, uh, they had this uh, mysterious thing to sort out, this obelisk. Um. They didn't know what it was. They didn't even have a good uh, word for it. So they just called it an ob- obelisk. Uh, and, you know, f- future uh, episodes uh, went into, you know, maybe going into more about what this thing was. And they talked about the nature of it. But it would have been senseless to talk about the nature of the obelisk before they discovered the ob- obelisk. So the, the existence of the thing comes first, and then the discussion of its nature. There has been no establishment of God's existence at all, and right. so that makes the discussion of the nature His nature very out there. For instance, you know, if you discover a rock, then you would not uh, go through the process of saying, "Well, it could be a person," uh, because you you can see that it's a rock. <laughs> And you can you can talk about its other properties and, you know, other aspects of its nature. You're talking about God as if he's already an established being in that it makes sense that he could be a person. But if God is merely a rock, it wouldn't make sense that he was a person. So mm-hmm. I do think that it, you're you're getting the horse the cart before the horse, however that analogy That's works. Correct, yeah. <laughs> um by by trying to establish the properties of a thing that itself has not been established.
0: Okay, so uh, yeah, I, I fundamentally disagree. No, we are are capable of um, postulating about the coherence of something, even if we don't know if it exists in reality or not. And your, I would say your TV show is almost uh, perf- uh, a perfect illustration of this. We can conceive of a planet with an an obelisk, a mysterious obelisk on it. So that idea is perfectly coherent there there's nothing incoherent or logically contradictory about
1: yeah but it's just countries. mental onanism to imagine that and then try to imagine its properties and then try to imagine you know whether it uh, prefers yellow over blue and imagine whether look you don't know anything about this thing that you're just imagining what? um and so that's fine all, that, that's all allowed uh, well because allowed then, allowed in what it's not it's not allowed to say uh, that's a coherent idea, and therefore it must exist in some possible world because I because I conceived of it. We don't know that there is a thing to conceive of, and then mm. if we, it, well, let me let me just follow up. Sorry. Even mm. if you accept that there is a God, or I accept that there is a God, you, I would then ask you, where are you getting your information about its nature, other than other than your imagination?
0: Well, I, I gave the two sources, right, but. Uh, the Bible and perfect being theology but
1: if the Bible Bible is where you're getting your source from your argument is already dead Uh, so in the other series I'm establishing why the Bible in fact is not a source of information for uh, anything that you should care about Uh, so I'm going to automatically dismiss it there if you're saying oh well we know that there's a God and we know about his nature from the Bible you know we can can mostly bypass most of that discussion now
0: right so and this is one of the points you raise in your blog so so let me finish my point i'm not going to the bible as proof that this christian god actually exists i'm going to it to find out well what is the concept of the christian god claimed to be what what could it be and does that abstract uh, um, idea is that coherent and and you know that i'm building up to the argument to to using a modal ontological argument where the very first premise of which is going to be saying, "Well, does is is the concept logically possible or not?" Um, and re- remember, it that doesn't mean even if he's logically possible, it doesn't mean that God actually exists okay. in, in this universe or in any other universe. But, but that's me, what the ontological arguments going to be trying to do. I'm not there yet. I, okay, I'm just. But I, I, I
1: want to get to my second objection to to the point that you're making. Not not. To any future point, and and my second objection there is also a cart before the horse type uh, objection. You're saying, you're asking. So is it is it logical that God is a person? You the God of the Bible is it logical that God is a person? I don't think that we can, in fact, say that it's logical that God is a person until we understand fully what you mean by person, because as I understand personhood, you gave your definition, that is not the same as my definition. As I understand personhood, uh, the God of the Bible could not be a person because he doesn't have uh, some of the key factors that I would uh, uh, include in personhood. So uh, I, I, you cannot ext- extract agreement with agreement from me or get me to grant that God's personhood is logically possible with your definition of personhood
0: so if if you're asking me do
1: persons exist yes persons exist is it logically possible that persons exist absolutely I agree what you're saying is is it logically possible for the God of the Bible to be a person I would disagree with that
0: Okay. So in what, in what, um, I'm trying to think of how to, st- okay, let's, let's start this way. So in my definition, in my definition of what a person is, which is in mainstream, you know, it's a scientific, would you at least say that is a coherent explanation of what a person is? Not by itself. I would say it's an incomplete, uh, in
1: okay. and, and, you know, this gets into possibly the next piece of Of the debate, and I I, I don't mean to foreshadow, but in order to make my point sound a little bit more complete, I'm going to have to foreshadow a little bit. That's what I was
0: trying to lead you into, because I was, was, yeah,
1: okay. So um, I do not believe it is coherent uh, the idea of a disembodied person. Okay, I I don't think that persons can be disembodied. So if you if you take a, a, a person and you take all of their attributes. But throw away the body, then I would say you don't have a person anymore. And what you're doing is taking the idea of a person and just throw it out the body and saying, OK, so that's person. And and so God could be a person in that way. Well, I wouldn't. That's not
0: a person. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, uh, no. Perfect. So, so yeah, Dave, David, beautiful. That's that's exactly what I wanted you to do. So here's the second aspect. Because we know that the Bible, for example, John four twenty four tells us that God is not a person in the in the same sense that human beings are. He's not embodied. He's incorporeal. Um, you know, he's he's a spiritual being. He, he doesn't have a physical body like uh, human beings do. So, okay, so David's saying, well, it, it's logic. There's a logical contradiction. It's incoherent to suppose a person existing without a physical. Body or or brain to manifest those things that I'm talking about, like thoughts and and uh, sensations and that sort of thing, right? It, so, it is it
1: is as logically incoherent to me as a married bachelor. In, gotcha. in, in an incorporeal person, I cannot conceive of
0: of how you even get off the ground with that. Okay, um, so here's how I'm going to try to first of all to try and um, I'm going to follow the same format. So let's first try to envision what it means to have a body. Um, what are we saying when we say someone is an embodied person? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting this. Otherwise mentioned. known as a person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's the subject of the debate. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Tara would be on my side. Yes,
1: I, I know. I was I was thinking uh, I, I don't want to invoke Tara. I don't want to invoke Tara. And there you go. So there she is uh, looming large yeah. in the room again. It should make you very uncomfortable that Tara is agreeing
0: with you right now. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but if, if, hey, she's she's somewhat right uh, about this. I think so. Okay, so so Jonathan Harrison, the philosopher Jonathan Harrison, has written an article entitled "The Embodiment of Mind," um, and he sort of distinguishes. Well, what is it we're saying when somebody has a body? What does that mean? So, here are five things. First of all, disturbances in this body cause me to have various. Uh, sensations and that sort of like pains or aches or tingles, or uh, you know, basically, physical disturbances to this bot to this physical body give me physically induced sensations, whereas dis- physical disturbances elsewhere do not produce such effects. Uh, the second aspect. Well, I, I feel, uh, or know the goings on inside my own body. I I can feel and know when my stomach's empty, when I'm hungry or, um, or that type of thing. Um, another one is that, look, I can directly move via what philosophers call a basic or immediate action. Um, my fingers or my legs, uh, anywhere in my whole body, um, You know, these are done as a basic action on my on my part, Um, but I can only move other external bodies via moving this body. Um, So the way I've given this definition, because I know David will come back with this, this definition of this aspect actually avoids any complications. You don't have to care about neurons or C fibers firing in you. Um, you know, our nervous impulses and muscle contractions that, all of that's irrelevant. I, I get that that goes on, uh, with a notion of substance dualism, interactionism, but the way I'm defining it is, look, there's a difference in how I'm moving my fingers compared to how I can move a book on my desk. I need to use my body to move that book. Um, so that that's the definition. So, and then another one, the f- uh, fourth one is. The first-person perspective, and this is going to get relevant, so we have a first-person perspective of the world from where my body is spatially located, um, as opposed to having other points of view or perspectives. And finally, E, my thoughts and feelings are affected uh, non-rationally by the goings-on in this body, but not the uh, goings-on in others. Um, so this is his uh, way of defining well, what does it mean to be embodied, it, and I, I I like this. I think there's a lot that makes sense here. So then you can ask, well, is it conceivable to imagine a being that lacks uh, one or more of these five aspects of being an embodied person? Um, and yeah, I, I think it I think it does. We can imagine. Um, I gave in my conclusion. I, I tried to illustrate a certain example. I'm going to avoid that, and I'll save that for part for part two because that's part of what's being eliminated from the blog this time for time's sake. Um, but yeah, I would just say, look, I, I think that we can envision a being that is not affected by physical disturbance, a person who's not affected by physical disturbances, so they don't feel pain or or something like that. Um, Great. Okay. So that's one of the aspects down in terms of what it means for someone to be unembodied.
1: Okay. Well, um, not but, really though.
0: Not, not okay, really. Okay. So, go, yeah.
1: go ahead. But it remind me to, that I want to come back on that because I, I disagree with that statement. Really, that way? Yes. We
0: have people that have neural dysfunction, so that they don't actually feel.
1: Yes, we can. Do, we angry. can do sensory deprivation chambers, but that doesn't mean they don't have a body. It doesn't mean that that body isn't playing a part of their existence, uh, mm-hmm. because they still have a brain uh, that is active. And so, I would say that you could shut down the functions of almost all of the body, not quite all of it, and still have a person. But that person, person is still fully embodied. It is it's not partially embodied. It's not less embodied. Um, and so,
0: right, and that, that's why I was careful to the way I was saying, it. and in my conclusion, I sort of build up to imagining these things while still embodied, kind of thing. And that, but okay, so he, here's how I'm going to try to basically. To try and get rid of the definitional problems, I'm actually going to provide, do what I did. Well, we can know that different substances, uh, the person is a soul or a spirit, a different, a non-physical substance. Let's okay, say wait a minute,
1: you're making a leap there. You,
0: no, no. You just I'm,
1: said a person is a soul and, and that's, that's a I leap. I said a non-physical being. F- fine, that's, that's still a yeah. leap. Um, well, you have um, not established that a person is non-physical. I'm, I'm saying that a person cannot be non-physical and you're okay. just, you're just making a claim. A person is non-physical. I'm sorry. No. That's not, that doesn't yeah, well, establish anything. I'm about
0: to get to, cause I provide two arguments as to how I get there.
1: Okay. So go so ahead. I've, go ahead. I just, I just couldn't let you say that without challenging and pointing out the fact that
0: that is a, an unsubstantiated claim. Correct. Right now. So, 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 Basically, remember, if something actually ex- can be proven to actually exist, by definition, it's logically coherent. Whether my definition is good of what I think it means or not, whether I can define what it means to uh, to have a soul or to be a person or whatever, the fact is that we can know it actually exists. So here's how I get there. I provide two arguments. And just for the fans, um, I have m- multiple other ar- arguments, and there are also arguments against this as well uh so me and andrew have planned to do a uh, uh either you know a couple episodes two or three episodes uh, bonus episodes on the substance dualism debate um which we're going to go over this in a lot more detail and that sort of thing um but just to give a snapshot here so here's one argument that i find convincing and it, i i call it the enduring the enduring self argument others call it you know the sameness of self it's all the same thing um but look, uh, we know scientifically that our physical bodies are literally different. Uh, and in fact, they you know—obviously, they're in a constant state of flux. We're losing skin cells every day, or, or you know, certain—we're losing cells. And I, I think I was—I was—I um, think after a period of eight years, uh, you are totally, from a physical sort point of view, you are totally different. There's not one physical component that is the same. I think it's seven years. Seven years? Okay, yeah. um, Okay. so yeah, I was just going based off memory. So um, you are literally, physically, a completely different person. Correct. Now here's where the argument comes into effect. We are obviously not the different person. And I, I use obviously purposefully, and I know David's gonna take issue with that. I am the same person I was 10 years ago. I, I have memories and of who I was, and that—that that is me. I was there ten years ago. That wasn't Dale number, uh, you know, uh, t- two thousand and eight. Uh, that was me to, in two thousand and eight. So, this is what we mean. Something somehow we are enduring, even though all of our physical components are completely different. So, but yet we all know. Whether you think it's an illusion or not, there's something that endures, and we are the same person that we were, despite all our physical components. So, so here's the argument in premise format for, for those. So premise one, if something is a physical object composed of parts, it does not survive over time as the same object uh, if it comes to have different parts, as I just said our body does uh, every seven years, according to David. So my body and my brain are physical object composed of parts. That's premise number two. So here's first conclusion. Therefore, my body and brain do not survive over time as the same object uh, once they come to have different parts every seven years. Okay. next premise, premise number four. My body and brain are constantly coming to have different parts, as, as David said. Therefore, my body and brain do not survive over time as the same object. However, premise number six, and here's the key, I do, I do survive over time as the same object. So therefore, I am not, I am not my body or my brain. Um, so in order to, um, therefore I'm a non-physical substance, whatever that is, a, a mental substance, or, or you want to call that, you give that the label of soul or spiritual substance. The bottom line is from this argument I put forward that we don't know – we know that we are not physical substances. But the most – I'm debating whether I should explain – because premise number six is going to be the one that uh, David takes issue with. He's going to say that we – Try to to reserve me some time so that I can come back on that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I'm debating whether I should explain how I substantiate premise six or turn it over to you to raise – the objection and then do it. Yeah, let me let okay, me go yeah. ahead and raise yeah. uh, my objection, because it's not just
1: premise six. Um, so, the ESA, uh, Enduring Self, um, in, Enduring Self, what is the A? Uh, the first one? Yeah. The, the Enduring Self ESA, in, Enduring Self... Oh, Argument. Argument. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> that, that's <laughs> so, what I... brain, say, but, brain, yeah, brain freeze. So, so, um, I I like this argument a lot, and I think it serves both of us well, because I, I don't think it means what you think it means. And I think that your conclusion is very different than my conclusion. So your conclusion is that because the brain changes and the self doesn't change, then the self is different from the brain. So I would attack that argument. First with with that premise that the self doesn't change. The self does change. It it, it does change every day. It, it it changes with the flaking of each skin cell. It changes so much that I would argue, I don't have a stat for this, but I, I believe it's probably more true than not, that every memory of your childhood is a false memory. You you simply do not have accurate memories of what you have been through or what you were in the past. You know what you are right now and you have a kind of concept of what you think you maybe were. But all you have to do is ask your mother about various events or or just the type of child you were when you were six or when you were 12. And it will probably be a very different picture than the one that you have for yourself. Uh, and so I, I would say that that self is changing all the time. In fact, uh, not just um, things like memory, although I think that memory is self to a, a large degree. Uh, so let me say that again. Memory is self. I am my memory uh, to, the, to the degree that if I, have, if I suffer amnesia, then I don't, I don't know who I am. I have no me at that point. Um, and if I, and furthermore, if I suffer some disease where not only do I not remember the past, but I can't process the present, there is no I. Um, so uh, our memories, even at best, are false. And so that that sense of who we were twenty years ago versus who we are now. It's radically different, and this is why marriages break up. You know, both parties are right. You've changed. No, you've changed. No, you, you've both changed. You are literally different people than the people that got married, and you may not remember exactly what you saw in that person because the, the current you doesn't see the same thing. Uh, so I would. So my first point of objection uh, is just with the first premise that the sense of self is enduring. It is not enduring uh the second thing and i i, I think i have
0: three points but i'm going to uh, narrow it down to two here for the sake of yeah, time and just just for the for the audience so what david just said that actually he's tackling premise six as i said with without that objection that that's not premise one so just oh, so people don't get confused yeah okay um, um
1: yeah. but the the other the other objection uh that i will mention i think it's it's almost going out of my head now i need it I need sorry it to, sorry I, it, um just a give me just a second. Sorry about the dead space, uh, everyone. Well, I think. Um, oh yeah, it's this thing that uh, Dale is calling self or the, the sense of I. Uh, he's he's talking about something that I would categorize as information, um, and he's saying that. Um, you know, information, if that's, you know, a part of the body, then when the body changes, that information should also change or die. Well, my first point is that the information does change. But this, the second point is that information, there can be continuity, even as information and the, um, the container of that information changes. So think about cloning uh, and since I'm a computer guy, I would think about it in terms of computers. Uh, I have owned a Drobo. Uh, there's those out there who know what a Drobo is. Uh, but to think about, uh, I want to say RAID 5. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Um, geeky computer stuff. But uh, the upshot is it's a machine where you can shove four or five hard drives into it. And... You've got the hard drive that is inside of your computer. So this Drobo is an external device. You shove hard drives into it like, like they were big VHS tapes. And it is constantly cloning the information, bits and pieces of it, all the time on the various pieces of hard drive that are inside of it. And when one of the Drobo's hard drive... Goes bad. Synology is another one of these, by the way. But if one of the hard drives go bad, you can just—you don't even have to turn the machine off. So it, it's a little like magic to geeks. You can just eject that thing, pull it out, throw it away, shove a clean one in, and none of your information has been lost—not um, one bit of it—because it is constantly being cloned over. Uh, the drives you have and over new drives that you put in. Uh, And so, yes, at some point, no two drives that you started with are the the same, but you still have the information there. But you can't have the information without the physical drives. So their information is transferring from one, let's call it cell, to another cell, And you have constant cells that are constantly dying, new cells that come in information is uh, transferred. And so you have some information. You have enough information transfer so that you maintain a sense of self throughout the process. But that sense of self does change. That information does get damaged. And if you damage the drives, if you damage enough of the drives, even a drobo won't save you. You You might can damage two drives at a time. But if you've got four drives, don't try damaging three. Uh, or else you're screwed in in terms of the body the same thing is true uh, you can uh, you know there's there's a constant information swap all the time and you can cut off pieces of the body in fact you can keep a person awake and cut off pieces of the brain you just keep cutting off pieces of the brain uh, while well, that person's awake okay uh, who are you now and, and they can, talk to you and tell you and you keep cutting off pieces. If you cut off enough pieces, that person's not there anymore. You've you've damaged too much of the drive at once. And so what Dale wants to present as, as some magical separate thing from physicality, I'm just gonna call information that is bound by the hardware. You can't have it without the hardware. You can damage enough of the hardware, lose enough of the drives, that you lose the ability to clone this sense of I, and we see that all the time in human bodies. So um, I, I disagree with the the ESA on both those premises, and if pushed, a, a third one, but we don't have time.
0: Okay. okay, all right, perfect. So so yeah, I think this is um, right at the heart, and I, I agree with David, because uh, it, in order to defend this, it, it, it entails other another argument for substance dualism. So I'm just going to reduce it to keep it simple for the audience. David's saying, look, we are literally a different person with every different physical state of affairs in our brains, presumably, right? Um, obviously, ourselves or our non-physical substance, essential self, um, is affected, right? Because this is substance dualism interactionism. So we are affected by physical changes or disturbances within our body. Everyone's known it. I mean, this goes back to Thomas Aquinas wrote about this. Everybody knows that. Um, But that doesn't prove he's trying to assume that, okay, well, therefore we are just our brains. We can't, the self can't exist independently of it. Uh, We know that damaging our brains if we lose our memory, we might change our personality. That, however, these are even personalities, our, our beliefs, our, our desires, uh, You know, these are all referring to states of affairs within the soul or within the self, or this non-physical essential substance. They can change. They're in a state of flux as well. I can change my beliefs. I can change uh, the sensations that I'm feeling um, from moment to moment and that sort of thing. But we all we all know that it's me I am having this memory um, I am having this experience this sensation of uh, a brown desk in front of my in front of my eyes um, and this is what endures and I, I'm gonna leave it to keep it simple for everyone in this blog Maybe we'll get more technical with Andrew and that sort of thing but do you agree with David that you are the one that's having these memories, or is that literally a different person uh, that had, you know, 10 years ago, was, was that you or not? And I think that there is. And even David, I was, I was really trying to think of a way to, to try and make some progress, because me and David did have a, a conversation about this earlier in the week. Um, so David will, will admit, look, there is this, at least at a phenomenological level, there is this enduring self that we experience. Now, he thinks that's an illusion, um, but I would say, no, this is real, and this is the heart. I know this is real. I know I am that literal same person, even though, th- even closely integrained properties as to who I am may change. My personality may be different. And as I that's just
1: explained, that's information cloning. Um, it's, it's not an enduring sense of self any more than, you know, what, once again, what, what comes from a hard drive to a corrupted hard drive is the same thing. It, it's a copy and a bad copy. Uh, and those are very different things. And I, I just think that you are n- either unwilling or un- incapable, and I don't mean that in a uh, mean way, but incapable mm-hmm. of interacting with um, the technology aspect of what's going on. You, you choose to see it as a mystery, as some separate thing. And, and I'm trying to give you a concrete example of how this works in the real world. Uh, the, the information on your computer is not a soul. It's just information.
0: And yeah, but that's not what we are. That's you're just asserting that. You well, no I'm,
1: I'm using that as an analogy, but it's, it's a way of understanding how a thing can seem to be the same from one physical instantiation
0: to another. Yeah, and I'm, but I'm saying we know that we actually are the same thing. I'm not. We don't. It's not we a have. Everyone has properly basic beliefs. Remember, I told okay, you. Okay, but your properly basic, basic like belief that, is um, just
1: it. you thinking a thing is true. And I understand that you believe it in your heart that you are a, a little man behind your eyes controlling your body. Um, You know, like uh, like the character in Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. I I know that's that's how you see yourself. But that is a convenient fiction that simply isn't the case. And once again, you cannot demonstrate um, this this person apart from the physical mechanism. Any more than you can demonstrate information without a physical mechanism. So information can be lost. And what you're calling a person can be lost in the same way by the damage of the physical. And what you have to do if you're Mm -hmm. going to make the case that you're making, and you you can make it with Andrew because I know that you guys are going to talk about this, but you're Mm -hmm. going to have to show some kind of example where this personhood survives the physical. You cannot do that. You can you can speculate it because you want it to be true.
0: No, no, we, we have experiential knowledge. And this is what I this is what I'm appealing to. I am trying to keep it simple for the audience as a basic choice. Do do you know that you are the same person? You're in, you're not just a copy. It, I mean, and this but, is But I have told you I'm argument. not the same person. Have.
1: I'm not anywhere near the same person I was uh, okay. 20 years ago.
0: So yes you are. We are defined,
1: wait, wait, wait a minute! Wait a minute! You're de- talking about properly basic beliefs. Now you're right. going to tell me what mine are? I am not anywhere near the same person I was 20 years ago. There's almost nothing similar to me, except for yes. the fact that I still hate olives.
0: You still that, have that, that persists. Sense of self. That you were there, even though you say it's an illusion or not, this exists. Well, I, but I feel like a, a different, different way, person right? than the person <laughs> that I
1: kind of remember. I don't feel—I don't even feel like the same person. You're saying that there's continuity, and I got to yeah. tell you, I, from what I remember, I didn't feel anything like this. this I, there's a different driver behind my eyes today than there was. Uh, 20 years ago once again a convenient so, so fiction that there's
0: talking. and this is my second argument this is a second argument that I'll incorporate it into this though he, you're using the indexical i uh, to yes, describe because everything you're it's, saying. it's it's language it's all yourself. it's all we've got of course i'm going to use i it in once again well, why okay. would these indexical propositions exist obviously it's describing a phenomenon that actually exists in the real world I'm where i'm not
1: going to speak of myself
0: in the third person Okay, we should. We should. There should only be a third party perspective. No, David shouldn't speak of himself that way. Yes, we should. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's what I'm saying. The fact, the very fact that we don't do this, this is why the first person perspective exists. It's describing a real entity that we experience and know exists. We have this enduring I that these propositions refer to. Okay. So
1: again, you're, you're t- kind of t- making an argument no, because you delusion. feel,
0: because you feel that
1: this must be true, then it, it, you know, it's emotionally satisfying to you. Then it's gotta be true. That's just not an argument that I'm no, you know, but willing to interact with much okay. further on, because that, at okay. the end of the day, that's just what you're saying. And you're, you're appealing to people to, to, you know, to, to, to look at your inner emotion and see how you feel about this. No, well, it's a
0: properly basic. It's experiential yeah, you knowledge. You and the Mormons you can, can enjoy
1: your not. properly basic stomachache. ache. Um, I that is that is not epistemology for me. Yes, it is. Okay, okay for you. right. Yeah. And so that, there's there's no once the argument devolves to, but it's how I feel in a properly basic way. Then it's over. And I, I think so, this one I think this one has reached that
0: yeah but but I'm appealing to the the audience for their own properly basic beliefs as well just yes, as you're appeal you're appealing, to, you that, to, you're appealing to
1: them for their emotion it's no. it's a little yes you are it's a little bit like appealing to uh, you know and the Aborigines who maybe have never seen certain technologies, uh, and saying, "Yes, well, you see that lighter? That's clearly magic. You know it's magic in, in, in your heart. It's properly basic, and they would probably agree with you." But that doesn't make it true, and so your your appeal in this way is somewhat empty. And I I, I think that um, I, I think that we've got a pretty smart audience, and they will they will see that.
0: I think that certain skeptics i think that you are just being hard of heart it's you that's buying into it you're deceiving yourself you we all know you understand that neuroscientists agree with me too right so uh, this is not no neuroscience neuro the majority of neuroscientists disagree with both of our positions they would from my understanding they all they more take a uh epiphenomenal perspective which is actually what i'm saying but they would just disagree that a they would so this isn't how they would phrase it, but they would agree that there are non-physical entities that exist, but they would say it's dependent on the physical brain. So you you kill the brain, but they they believe in thoughts are a different substance. They're not physical or or your concept of I. They would agree with me on that,
1: right? And I would say that a thought is not a substance at all. It, it is it Correct. is it is merely uh, an outworking. Of the physical, it's it's not a substance. I'm thinking thoughts right now. I'm not creating okay. substances.
0: Okay, yeah, I know that. But the thing that has the thoughts is a different substance. They would say that. But the the point that I'm wanting to this is what I'm trying to get to as my my closing on this. So I'm appealing to properly basic beliefs, which is knowledge that is warranted true belief. Are you the same person, or are you literally a different person? And I would say it's no it doesn't make sense the other way. For David to be right, he has to say it's illusion. He's no better than the Buddhist that says, oh, the physical world, he's no better than Tara. The the physical world, that's all illusion. Sick that's burn, that, Tara. that's Tara. Don't go wow. No, but uh, here's how I'm well, <laughs> in this sense, even though I'm on Tara's side about the enduring self, I'm against her that the rock is consciousness and that sort of thing. Basically, what you're saying, what David's saying, you're no better than a Buddhist or someone who says that, look, our experience of the outside world, that's all illusion. That's Maya. No, that's a convoluted ad hoc hypothesis. And that's the same thing you're doing with my experiential knowledge that I am the same person I was when I was eight years old. Um, I'm not just my memory. I'm not just some copied information. um, And then I have the illusion that I'm the same self any more than... This book on the table is, oh, it's an illusion in my head. Uh, none of the real world exists. Oh, this I, I disagree,
1: crazy. and there's, no, there's nowhere we can go. I yeah. am my memories. And uh, I think I said this earlier. I, the, the sense of I is somewhat illusory, and it's really your memories. And all you have to do is do a, let's call it a thought experiment. Let, let's see if you can imagine... Uh, a person who lives the first 20 years of their life and a mad scientist coming in and changing all of their memories and inputting someone else's memories for the first 20 years of their life. That is literally a different person at that point.
0: Yeah, and I would say no, it's not. It is yeah. you. You, right. you
1: would say no, but I, I, once again, I think that that example, if you can imagine it, does in fact show there's a it's literally a different person and all you have done is swapped out memories yeah there's no continuity there's no there's no enduring self at that point because you've made a hard swap of all of the information we're just talking about manipulating information
0: yeah. So you you understand there's a difference between identity and the states of affairs within the brain or that sort of thing. So let, oh, but you're talking you know, about like,
1: my but you're talking about my okay. experience of my identity, and I'm telling you that my experience of my identity would be different if you swapped out my memories right now for another 48 year old. If if you swapped out if someone swapped out your memories right now for another person uh, your age who lived a very different lifestyle, you would have a false illusion that uh, your enduring self is a different person.
0: Okay, so because let's, let's all of the information will have ways. been
1: swapped out at once. You are okay, your, so, your
0: memories. Okay, so let me, let me try this. In the first place, forget about memories for one second. Um, I'm, I'm gonna get back to them, but there are different states of affairs within the brain. I'm assuming your terminology, right? Obviously, I, I think that's mental, mental things. But okay, I can have a thought about a brown desk.
1: Okay.
0: Um, then I can have a different uh, mental or brain state uh, where I'm uh, producing a desire. I want to move that desk. Um, are are you are you the same person there? Because you're having two different states of affairs within your brain. Sure, at the, uh, at you, the moment, absolutely. A different...
1: absolutely. I'm. I am. You know. I have the sense that I'm the same person there. But what mm-hmm. if I've forgotten about the thought of the brown desk? and and maybe later uh remember having a thought of a glass desk Th- that is that is different Now, that's a minor way that I'm a different person but I'm a different person and I would suggest that those those changes in memory happen all the time
0: about everything even stuff that you think of as important okay okay so okay so that that's a good start then so and that's consistent with what you're saying so memory is is us. This is what is enduring through the different brain states. So something endures through different brain states, but nothing can endure with the loss of memory. So, okay. So using memory, then you you have. I assume you have memories and uh, of things that happened more than seven years ago. I I, I know yes, in the, but like, the-
1: I, like I said, uh, almost all of my memories from a certain period are wrong. Now, what percentage of my memories are wrong from seven years ago? First of all, I have a limited number of memories. If I had to write down exactly what was going on, uh, you know, on this date, uh, 2012, I don't think I could do it. I would, I would have to look up some records to see what was going on. I don't, I don't actually have any memories right now of that. I would, okay, I would so- have to conjure them, you see. I would have to create some memories about that. And okay, they would so be not- wrong by nature.
0: OK, so what you're so you got where I was going and because you, you told us you have a memory that you didn't have a winter coat when you're back in school or something like that. I remember in the round table. So how could that endure? You're saying, well, it doesn't. You're creating you're imagining a scenario that has no you're just making stuff up. And I, I don't think that's what's happening. Actually, well, no, we, we are though, making
1: oh, stuff up. The very, the very act of remembering a thing is the act of making stuff up because what you are doing is you're writing a script, you're making a movie inside of your head for a thing. And the movie that you are making is not exactly uh, a recap of what happened. Your your memory is not videotape. Yet you Yet you see videotape in your head. What you have done is create a fictional story that was based on, you know, true things maybe.
0: But you are not in in fact exactly seeing what happened right and and this happens this the one that becomes ingrained in us is actually the second time once we remember it and that that's the thing that we're so it's not the actual the actual experience itself creates a certain neuronal pathway or whatever but then the act of remembering that itself is actually a different pathway that becomes yes we we tend to remember the story uh, that we told about the event right we don't remember the event beautiful and whether those are related or not i would say that they're related when we remember it even though i could get certain minor details wrong let's that is beside the point but anyways we're yeah, different. Are we first of all? Are we a different person at the very moment? If I right now I'm just talking to you and I'm remembering right now that I was talking to you about the example of your coat. Uh, am I a different person right now because I just remembered that? It's different than the experience.
1: Uh, to to a degree. So it's all a matter of degrees. We are different persons from moment to moment, but it's okay. minor enough. The, the corruption of our information is minor enough and slow enough so that from moment to moment, we have a sense of continuity. But it's pretty, uh, it gets major over long periods of time. So I assure you, you have absolutely no connection to the you that was in your mother's womb before you were born. Some people claim that they do. I think they're full of it. But you have no connection to that person. That person's brain, everything that they knew about that time, uh, that universe, uh, their sense of self, that's gone. You, you cannot, in fact, make a connection with the you that was in your mother's womb. It, so what? Just as so why well have been a different person.
0: But why not? If we're just creating new memories, why can't I? What's the difference? Why can I create a memory of me at eight versus a memory, a made up memory created out of thin air of me in my mom's womb? Well, I I? I don't know, but for whatever reason, we can't seem
1: to. So here uh, I throw throw up my hands and say, talk to a a brain specialist. Um, I don't know why we can't remember the womb. (laughs) So okay. well, it, it could be that our brains, the part of our brains that uh, formed memories just wasn't formed enough to, to hang on to those, to even tell good stories about. It could be that it was so traumatic that uh, all birth is some type of post-traumatic uh, syndrome. And, and
0: Yeah, but that happened to it. a different person. All the physical memory, all the physical components of the memory are, are gone by that point. So it, there should be no influence or any trauma that happened to my physical brain straits when I was being born. That well, there's, there's,
1: there is no trauma because you don't have any memory of it. You don't even have partial memories of it. If you did have memories of it, you probably would have trauma. But I'm saying you, you may have had the trauma and mm. that may have, in fact, destroyed whatever uh, possible memories there could be. So it is not a part of you. Your, your Your birth is a separate thing. you could look at it as a clinically distinct thing even this you that you think is behind your eyes driving your body right now has no connection to the you that was in your mother's womb
0: yeah but the same the, same, the exact same thing holds true to the me that was uh, hanging out at Wonderland when I was eight years old it's, it's all the same thing there's no connection but yet somehow I'm able to create and make up. New memories, made-up memories of what I was doing, and that just happens to correspond to the made-up memories of my mom, to greater or lesser degrees, to, to my dad. One we, of well, yeah, the, we, what are the reasons we talk to it.
1: each other about our past, when we have a shared past, Andrew and I do this a lot because we have a shared past, one of the reasons we talk to each other about our shared past is to see exactly how how much of it we're actually accurately memory remembering versus the stuff that we made up. Uh, turns out we made up everything,
0: <laughs> but you know we have some we have some impressions. It's true that it's true that I went to Wonderland when I was eight years old. Sure, or I went to Wildwater Kingdom. Sure, but whatever you thought,
1: you felt at that time, and saw, and did, and the things that made you you. Are are different now, and so once again, yes, you're you're talking about um, a process of bad cloning and bad hardware. That is our sense of self, and that is why over time we do lose connection to our past, our younger self. It is why it is why a, a young kid of six can believe in Santa Claus, and a child of thirteen can't. And, and it's not just that one did believe and one stop believing. It's one can believe and one can't because you're different people now. You you are you are fundamentally different enough so that you can never go back and believe those things and think those thoughts. Can't do it.
0: Yeah, but that that that's what we're debating because obviously I'm more in tune with like Buddha. I don't even though certain attributes are more deeply ingrained than others, my personality, for example, is a more deeply ingrained trait to who I am than having an arm if someone cuts off my arm but nonetheless they are all still transitory i i i'm saying our sense of eye endures all of these differences or changes okay. and, and, and um, as i said our and, sense of eye is is information badly
1: cloned in, until, right. until and until one day it can't be anymore
0: right so i i'm And I'm saying it's not, so I'm trying. And and that's where and that's where we land. (laughs) So I
1: I, I think I I think for the listener, we can't we can't really advance that idea further.
0: Yeah. Well, but that's I was trying to with this. I was taking. Okay, let's say you're right, and we are memories or this information. I still I think it's weird. It's it's an indication that you're wrong. That well, I can do that uh, for when I was eight years old at Wonderland or Wildwater Kingdom or whatever. And Hey, it just happens to correspond with my made up mommy uh, mom or my made up dad's, uh, made memories of that event. And also corresponds with picture evidence, uh, as well. Stuff hey, that, that I haven't that, that seen in mean That all of your memories are, know, are broken, They're not valid.
1: Right? I mean, but no, but I'm, I'm so I said earlier, wait, all of then. our childhood m- memories are wrong. I, that that's a little bit of hyperbole. I don't mean that every childhood memory is absolutely wrong.
0: But how if there's no connect if there's no physical connection? Well, we not are-
1: not every piece of information is as badly cloned as other pieces of information. It in general, the human brain's a bad cloning machine because we do forget things and we do lose things. Um, there's there's a saying. Um, Kind of a kind of a meme that uh, people used to say when they when they watch something like a bad video uh, or see something awful. They say every every time I watch that, a puppy dies. And what they mean is a memory that they had of a puppy gets swapped out for this new thing. Yeah. That they see. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because because their 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 brains are bad cloning machines and only has so much capacity and some things get in and some things get lost and some things get replicated uh, well and other things get replicated badly but that's all you're dealing with Uh, and it's not that mysterious to me Uh, Yeah, you you, you choose to make it a mystery and say that it's a different substance but I'm saying that thought is not a substance you're saying
0: our experience is an illusion you're the one that's going above and beyond denying the basic evidence that's before everyone's that everyone experiences. Just well, I, think like our, I think the basic is evidence saying. is
1: that we're bad cloning machines. Uh, point of fact, I can't remember how this conversation started.
0: <laughs> so. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> with the coherence comprehension or whatever. But anyways, so I, I want to admit this. Um, yeah. So based on the cloning thing, my line of argumentation from the memory doesn't work at all, actually. Um, so that's a total failure. But yeah, it just basically comes comes down to yeah you you have this basic experience and i'm appealing to you on a properly basic belief level we we know we have knowledge that i'm the same guy i was when i was eight years old doesn't matter all my properties are completely different in terms of personality or uh i get certain memories wrong or something or certain details like that in terms of memory wrong i mean there's been a lot of work by psychologists on memory bart Ehrman's uh, done a show on that. Richard Baucom's done some research in that. So we, we know a lot about how memory works. Um, same with, you know, th- different thoughts. I remain the same through different thoughts, through different sensations, through different memories, um, or losing all of the memories. I'm still the same person, different personalities. Um, maybe I'm more, you know, I, I'm literally, I, I'm, I've developed, a di- so I was developing sort of a different personality through the experience of the, the comments and stuff. And I'm, Oh, I'm trying to go back. No, stop that and go back. The personality I had before, but I'm still the same person through all of these mental changes, even no matter how ingrained they are, they're not essential to who I am is my argument. And I'm appealing to you. We know this to be true. And if you're going to impose, no, that's an illusion. You're no better than someone who just says all oh, the, the, the entire internal external world is an illusion. It's, it's nothing but an illusion. You think you're seeing a book, but you're not. It's not there. That's, that's Maya. Um, I, I that's find that I, violates I, Occam's
1: razor. Right, and I don't, I don't find that to be what I'm saying at all, so I am going to attempt the last word on um, uh, Sure, I'll give it to you, yeah. Uh, this With another sci-fi reference. Uh, so those of you who have Netflix, perhaps you are familiar with a series called Travelers. Um, and what travelers are, are people who have found a way to transfer the information of themselves back in time and, uh, put themselves in the bodies, brains of another person. So, uh, literally a, a person is walking along doing his business. Uh, he's about to die and that's when the travelers take over a traveler comes and takes over that person's body, and that person is literally overwritten. The information is overwritten by the new consciousness. Now, that said, uh, in travelers, they maintain both personalities, and the other personality just uh, put down. But it's it's the idea is still that it's an information overwrite, and the traveler is not in fact the person that they took over. They they're the they're the new set of memories that are now in that body. So this, this is this is a sci-fi illusion and I I am simply asking anyone who is swayed by Dale's idea just do the thought experiment that I brought up uh, before which is take all of your memories now and have them completely overwritten by a different set of memories, not even a blank slate—a different set of memories that belong to a different person. You would no longer think of yourself as the person that uh, you were before the overwrite. You would be the—you would be the new person. That's what would happen if you swapped out all of your information at once. That is not what happens to the human body most of the time, although sometimes it does happen, and we see these completely different. Uh, persons uh, uh, come about as a result uh, whether it's um, you know, severe amnesia or Alzheimer's or something like that so we know that this can happen if you just imagine that you remember nothing except the memories that were put into you by, from someone else that's the person that you would be and that would be your new sense of I and you wouldn't even think that you had a new sense of I you would think that you were the same person the whole time but we can see that you're a different person So this this idea of substance dualism, once again, I'm going to give uh, Dale all the space he wants to talk to Andrew about this in more detail. Uh, But I don't think that you can uh, make the case uh, that there is a different substance from our physical substance that controls the eye. And therefore, if we can kind of get back to where we got in from, where I think we got in from, the person of God trying to grant that surely God can be a person since we're a person. But the reason we can grant that we're persons is because we're full physical constructs. And Dell is trying to create a non-physical construct where you can still be a person. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that's that's the big point and breakdown that that you can focus on as um, as listeners. I hope that you have gotten uh, as much out of this conversation, as much entertainment out of this conversation as I have. Uh, I have tried to... Turn down the polemic meter uh, a bit. <laughs> so I hope I didn't turn it down too much. I, um, it it and and uh, the next couple of weeks will be more conversations with uh, with different people. When we get back, uh, I will be on full polemic again, and I will be talking about the Bible mm-hmm. again. And the next uh, part of that series will be uh, the reason uh, we don't. Uh, that we shouldn't take the bible seriously i don't understand it and you don't either and i'm going
0: to make the the case of uh confusion for the bible so and uh for for me uh david so david's going to be attaching what i intended as my full blog so that that's also going to include um god as an omnipresent being which I, i we didn't get into this one uh but just so you know so you're not confused that will be covered uh, so the next one's when we get back to this series, probably in, in uh, sometime in February, um, will be God is an omnipresent being and God is a necessary being. Um, and then I'm going to do a conclusion that combines all four just to try and illustrate or something like that. Those properties. So that's the next that I have planned for, the, for this series. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. So, um, yeah, good talk. And uh, we'll see you all next time.
0: All right. Bye-bye, everyone.